0: If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 107. We're going to continue our series here this summer, Summer in the Psalms, and we're going to be looking at the 107th Psalm, Psalm 107. As you are uh, turning there, uh, I I pray that over these past few weeks, what has started to be developed in your hearts is, one, uh, a reliance upon God in the midst of the storms of life and the tribulations of life, uh, but I also pray I've heard that uh, an attitude of thankfulness, gratitude, and praise is starting to show itself more and more in your life because ultimately we can praise God in the midst of whatever it is we may be facing, and we see that play out throughout the Psalms, and I pray that that theme has not been lost on you as we have been looking at God's Word. This morning, I've entitled this message, Consider the Steadfast Love of the Lord. And you will find in verse 43 of Psalm 107, exactly why I have entitled this message today, that in verse 43 of Psalm 107, God's word says this, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. So God is telling us in his word, that it would be wise for us to attend, it would be wise for us to know, it would be wise for us to apply the things that we find in Psalm 107 to our lives. It says, Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So ultimately... Verse 43 is a summary of all that we read in Psalm 107. In the previous 42 verses, Psalm 43 sums it up by saying that we need to attend to these things. We need to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord is something that we will see in this psalm that truly penetrates our hearts and transforms our lives. Now, we have to be careful in this day and age when we talk about the love of the Lord, because oftentimes what transpires is that that idea, that word has been so convoluted and has been so twisted, has been so perverted that individuals take to mean that the love of God is the acceptance of all actions, all thoughts and all things. That anything goes. With the love of God, it's just to accept all things. It's to let anything go. You choose for yourself how you want to live your life, even though it may be in complete contradiction and opposition to God's word, because love trumps obedience. But that's not what God's word teaches That's not what we will see when we talk about the steadfast love of the Lord. We're talking about a God who loves us so much that he won't let us just live our lives however we want to live our lives. That he has given us boundaries that are good for us to live within. And Psalm 107 shows us this beauty in such a way that it truly does transform hearts and lives. This idea of steadfast love It's the Hebrew word chest, and it's used in the Old Testament. It's one of the major themes of the Old Testament, the steadfast love of the Lord. It's used in the Old Testament 245 times. Now, it's not always translated steadfast love. Sometimes it's translated faithfulness. Sometimes it's translated loyalty. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated kindness. But at the very root of it, we see that there is a steadfast love. There is a love that does not diminish. There is a love that does not fade. There is a love that is not removed from those who have placed their trust and their faith in God Almighty. It is a steadfast love. In fact, it's one of the main characteristics of God through his revealed word that he has revealed to us and ultimately revealed to Moses when Moses asked if he would be able to get a glimpse of God's glory. Remember this in Exodus 34, he's, he's, he's asked to get a glimpse of God's glory. And we see in Exodus 34, 6, we see that it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There's that word. And God is using it as a description for himself to Moses, that he is a God that is abounding And steadfast love. Verse 7 goes on to say in Exodus 34, keeping steadfast love. So he keeps it. He's keeping that steadfast love. It doesn't change. It's not just for Moses. It's not just for that generation, but keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Remember what Dr. Ted preached on uh, last week about confession? He said there's three main words that the Bible uses in regards to sin, iniquities, transgression, and sin. Iniquity is that twisted thinking. Transgression is I know God's line that he has drawn in the sand, but I'm willing to step over it and disregard God's law. That sin is just anything that's in rebellion against God. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Now, this is an important verse for us to understand, right? Because, again, the idea that God's love will trump all things, so you just live your life however you want to. God's word tells us in Exodus 34, 7, that he will by no means clear the guilty. Who are the guilty? Everybody that has not placed their faith in Christ Jesus. When I was growing up, there was was a saying in in the neighborhood that that I lived in and in, in the areas that I lived in, and it was one that was, uh, throughout the, the, the country, I'm sure. and I see individuals that have it tattooed on them all the time. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. The great theologian Tupac made that, that, uh, that song. Only God can judge me. All right. That is a very true statement. The problem is he's already judged us and found us guilty. Only God can judge us, but we've all been found guilty. And that's why he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, that if we would place our faith in him, even though while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and their children's children to the third and the fourth generation. In other words, that twisted thinking that we live, we then teach to our kids. They start to inherit that twisted thinking, and they pass it on, and there's a replication of that until the curse is broken, and the only one that can break the curse is Jesus Christ. It's associated This idea of steadfast love is associated with the covenant of God, the the old covenant and the new covenant as well. It's at the very heart of that covenant. 1 Kings 8.23, Solomon would say this. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and showing steadfast love. That idea of steadfast love and the covenant that has been established by God Almighty, they, they are synonymous. They go hand in hand with one another because the covenant that has been established has been established solely by the steadfast love of God Almighty. To your servants who walk before you with all their heart. We also see that it was because of a steadfast love that we're not forsaken even in our wondering, even when we go against what it is that God has called us to, that his steadfast love brings us out of exile and brings us back into harmony and fellowship with him when we confess our sins. He is faithful because of his steadfast love to bring us out of those. Ezra 9:9 is a very important verse in conjunction with Psalm 107 because Psalm 107 would have been written around or talked about uh, uh, the times right around the life of Ezra. 107 is this idea that God's people have been released from exile and now they are coming back into the promised land. Ezra 9.9 says, For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love. So even when things aren't going the way that you would want them to go, even though because of our rebellion sometimes we find ourselves imprisoned by our sin, we'll look at what Psalm 107 has to say about that, God's steadfast love is still good and extended to us to bring us out of that exile that we find ourselves in. And so Psalm 107 will address that reality. It goes on to say in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Have you been, have you been redeemed from the troubles of this world? Have you been set free? H- have you experienced the goodness of God Almighty? Well, God's work says, let the redeemed say so. Our mouths shouldn't be shut. Uh, We shouldn't be quiet. If God has set us free, if he has redeemed us out of the depravity of our sin, the darkness of our lives, and brought us into his marvelous light, I don't care what you may be facing. I don't care what circumstance or situation you may be finding yourself in. God is still worthy to be praised. He has redeemed us. He has brought us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. And so, therefore, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, when we gather together, we ought to say th- so through song. We ought to praise God Almighty. We ought to sing his praises. Our lives ought to look like lives of praise, that each and every moment of our life is a life that is dedicated to praising God. Why? Because of the steadfast love has secured that for us. What do you mean? Well, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So how were we redeemed? Well, 1 Peter 1, 18-19 tells us. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. Anybody remember that empty way of life? I remember my empty way of life. And sometimes I fall victim to the schemes of the enemy and I return back to those empty ways of life, only to realize again that they're empty. For you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors. How did you do it? With silver and gold, with ways of the world, No, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Should we not praise God because of the cross of Calvary? I don't care what else you're facing in this world. We can praise God because we had one who went to the cross for our sins and died for us to establish for us eternal life. So I don't care what it is you're going through. He's still worthy to be praised because of that. Now. That's not to say we don't go through things. It's not to say that we just shrug those things off. The true human nature in this fallen world is to deal with pain and suffering and sorrow. But listen to this, verse 3. And he gathered in from the land, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And what we're going to see in Psalm 107 is we're going to see four groups of individuals that have been gathered by God Almighty, and we'll see that he will set them on a new path and a new course, and as a result, they are praising God Almighty as a result of what it is that he has done in their lives. And I pray when we walk out of here today, having shared this time together, we'll walk out of here praising God Almighty like we've never praised him before. First and foremost, his steadfast love gathers the powerless we'll see these four groups of individuals, they're powerless over their situation and circumstance. If you haven't realized by now, you're powerless over your situation and circumstance. You're you're powerless over it. Look at these four groups of individuals. The first group is shown to us in verses 4 and 5. Some, these individuals that were gathered by God Almighty, he gathered some who had wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. These are individuals that are directionless. These are individuals that are wandering. These are individuals that are aimless. These are individuals that really have nowhere to go. They're in a deserted place. Do you come in here this morning? Feeling like your life has just come to a point where you're just waking up in the morning, going through motions, just so you can go back to bed so you can wake up and do it all over again. No joy, completely devoid, feels like you're in an arid place, feel like you're in a desert place, feel like you have no direction, feel like you have no way. You're just completely wandering around through life, and it's lost its meaning that you're in an isolated, arid place. You come in here this morning. Well, know this God gathers individuals just like you that may find yourself in those moments. He gathers you out of that. Now, we see that they're hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them, that they were looking, they couldn't find their way into a city. A city spoke of security back in those days. It provided places of sustenance and rest. It was a place that they, they could go to and feel secure. So they couldn't find that. Do you feel that? Do you feel insecure in your life, feel insecure in, in your job, just feel insecure day to day, just nowhere to go, aimless? These are the individuals that we see in the first group. They're hungry and they're thirsty. Their soul has fainted within them. They're a shell of a person. Look at the second group, verses 10 through 12. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Maybe that's you. Maybe you know somebody that that these are the individuals that find themselves in a darkened prison. Because they have rebelled against God's word, because they've been living for the things of the world, that they've turned to various idols, various substances, or various uh, people to try to fulfill them in a way that only Christ Jesus can. You bound up in addiction, living a life of unforgiveness, living a life of anger, bound up as a result of that. Find yourself in darkness, doesn't seem like there's any light at the end of the tunnel. Do you come in here this morning? And that is your life. That is a description of your life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced that? He says that these were individuals that had rebelled against the words of God. It spurned the counsel of the most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard label. They're, they fell down with none to help. You ever felt helpless? You ever just felt like no matter how many times you get up, you just get knocked back down again, you feel helpless? Feel, feel like nobody is there for you, just in that dungeon, just in that, that prison? So we, we've seen that there's a group of individuals in a desert. We've seen a group of individuals that are in a prison. Now look at the third group, verses 17 through 18. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. These, these are the individuals that, because of their iniquities, because of their twisted thinking, because of the, the, the philosophies of the world that they're living their life by, all of these various philosophies that the world says it will bring us peace. All of these things that the world says. And we have this twisted thinking that where we call good evil and evil good. And what they end up doing is leading us to the infirmary. All they do is they bring us affliction in our lives. You notice it says that they loathe any kind of food. You ever been so sick you don't want any food? I don't care what it is. This, they offer food to you and it's just like I, I just don't want to look at it. I don't want to smell it. I don't I, I'm just so sick in this moment the actual thing that I need to provide my body energy I don't really want. Because of the twisted thinking of the iniquities of individuals, they, they, they hear about the things of God, that, that good, uh, plentiful, uh, refreshing food, and they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with that because they've been feasting on the junk of the world so much, and they found themselves in the infirmary of life because of the twisted thinking that they have that they don't want anything to do with the things of God. God's going to address all of these individuals. He's going to address individuals that find themselves in the desert, the individuals that find themselves in the prison, and the individuals that find themselves in the infirmity of their twisted thinking. The last group that, that we see is in verses 20 through 27. It says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep, for He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. Who is this group? This is a group of individuals that are seeking after status, that are seeking after financial gain, that are seeking after the the, the luxuries of of life. That these individuals have, have gone out, notice, not just to earn a living for their family. That's not why they went on this voyage. Notice that it says it is an evil plight. That their heart wasn't set on just providing for their family. Their, their heart was set on their own selfish gain and their own selfish desire. And so they put themselves in position uh, to try to get those. Sailors in those days would come back in and there'd be exploits about them. They'd tell all about their adventures and everything that they saw. And they would uh, make and do those things so that they they themselves could be, could be known in many regards and in many facets. And what we see is that this is the group of individuals that has no care for the things of God because they're so busy trying to build up their life. They're so busy trying to make a name for themselves. They're so busy trying to build up a bank account that they think will give them peace and security, only to find that they get tossed from wave to wave in the sea that they find themselves in. Look at this. For he commanded and raised a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits end do you find yourself at your wits end today in this place you ever found yourself at your wit's end? It was like you were drunk. You're just getting tossed from wave to wave. You just, no balance, no, no foundation underneath your feet. You're just getting tossed. It's like somebody's just pushing you back and forth. It's like a roller coaster. One moment you're up, next moment you're at the very bottom. There there, 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 there is no stability in your life whatsoever because you're chasing after things of the world, and this world is always transient. This world is always fluctuating. There is only one who is constant, and his name is Christ Jesus. all of these are powerless individuals in a desert in a prison in an infirmary and on a ship that is in the middle of a storm god's steadfast love however gathers us out of those moments and we see secondly that his steadfast love gives attention to our prayers his steadfast love gives attention to our prayers Look, notice out of all of those four groups you'll see that they all do something in the midst Of where they find themselves. In verses 6, in verses 13, in verses 19, and verse 28, God's word says this. It is repeated exactly verbatim in each of those. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. They cried to the Lord in the middle of their trouble. When's the last time that you cried to the Lord? That you cried out to him. Do you remember when you were broken? Do you remember when maybe you were in the desert before? When you were in prison before? When you were in the infirmary before? When you were on that ship that seemed like it was sinking before? Do you remember those moments when you cried out to God for those of you that have? If you're drowning in a sea and here comes along a rescue boat, what are you going to do? Help. Hey, could you help me? Hey, could you stop? Hey, could you stop for a second? Help! Help! When's the last time you truly cried out to the Lord? See, God's Word tells us in Psalm 138, verse 6, God's Word tells us this. Though the Lord is great, He cares for the humble, but He keeps His distance from the proud. Sometimes we find ourselves in the desert. Sometimes we find ourselves in a prison. Sometimes we find ourselves in an infirmary. Sometimes we find ourselves in a ship in the middle of a storm. And we think that we've got the power and the strength and the wisdom to figure it all out. And God says, listen, I didn't didn't come. I didn't come to help you be you. I came to transform you so that you would rely upon me. He cares for the humble, that he is near the humble. Those individuals that recognize in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the prison, in the middle of the infirmary, and on that ship that's sinking, realize that I have no power in and of myself, so I cry out to the one who does, and guess what? He rescues us, he saves us, he delivers us from our distress. Now, look where they're crying from, though. They're crying from a desert. They're crying from a prison. I can tell you from experience People don't care if you're crying out in prison. They don't care. They, they ain't worried about you. Hospital bed. You, you ever been up to a hospital? An individual just crying out, maybe in, 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 disoriented or just, I mean, whatever they may be yelling out, insane. You ever been in a storm? I mean, a true storm, thunder clapping, uh, lightning, God just displaying his power and, and try, to, try to yell out into the storm. You're not yelling over the thunder claps. You, 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 no, nobody's necessarily hearing you in, in the middle of that storm. But yet they, they know enough, they humble themselves enough to know that I'm going to cry out to God because he hears. Now, when we brought our, our daughter Ava home from the hospital, that first night, I'm telling you what, I was like full ninja mode. You know, like I'm listening, any little movement, what's that? Any any little cry that she may have, I'm right there to try to meet that need. Now, usually Grace has beat me to it. But you don't sleep. As tired as you are, you're not sleeping. You're caring about every little what move they're making. Walkie-talkie, please. they right there in the room with you. You know it. Now, it doesn't last that long. That wore out pretty quick. About two weeks into it. You know, you're telling, you telling your spouse, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. I mean, you got documentation, right? You've been making a spreadsheet. You've been checking it off. You, you'll get up to take them to the spreadsheet to show them it's their turn before you actually go and help the baby. God's not like that. God is like the newborn parents on the first night they bring that baby home. God is right there listening for every cry, every movement of his children, every need of his children. He is right there because he does not faint and he does not grow weary, and any moment that you need him, he is right there. Have you cried out to the Lord lately? Thirdly, his steadfast love, it guides the people. So he doesn't just gather us out of those situations doesn't just hear our cries in the middle of those situations but he guides us his love doesn't want to leave us in that situation his love isn't one that just shows up and says I'm here I'm present now continue to suffer in the midst of that he's going to lead us and guide us out of that not always as quick as we would like him to do but he is there he doesn't forsake us he doesn't leave us he doesn't abandon us he guides us look at verse seven those individuals that were in the desert when they cried out to the Lord look at what he did he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. We notice that they had no way that, to find a city to dwell in. And here it is. God leads them to the city for them to dwell in. That he answers their cry and he leads them by a straight way till they reached a city. Because he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He doesn't start something and then abandon you. Where he's called you to go to, he will lead you until you arrive at that destination. So we see them come into the city, this place of security. We see this place of sustenance. We see this place of provision. And God has led them out of the desert into this city. Look at verse 14, those individuals that were in the the prison. Guess what? They cry out to him, and what does he do? He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. He brought them out of the prison. He brought them out of darkness. And he didn't allow the chains to stay wrapped up on them. He freed them from their chains. I'm always reminded when I read this verse and verses that are similar to it. I'm always reminded of when Jesus went and Called Lazarus forth from the grave. You remember that, that story where Lazarus had died and he'd been buried for three days, and they come and they 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 roll the, the stone away, and, and I mean just funk comes out, right? He stinketh. I'm sure somebody said it may not have been recorded in scripture, but he's stinking, right? Smells smells like a sixth grader that, that ain't showered all weekend, but spraying axe body spray all over themselves, just trying to walk around, cover up the funk. You know what I'm saying? Just just stinking. Comes out. And what does Jesus say? The first thing that Jesus says. What's the first thing he says? Take off those grave clothes. Unbound him. Take off those grave clothes. Why? Because he was not called to life to remain in grave clothes because grave clothes are for dead people. Chains are for prisoners, but who the sun sets free is free indeed. So stop living in those grave clothes of the dead person that you once were. Stop living in the chains of the prison you once were in and put on the robe of righteousness and the signet ring of Christ Jesus that says, you're my son, you're my child. Now live out the life of abundance that I've called you to live. Yeah. Hebrews 11, uh, 9 through 10 says this, By faith, talking about Abraham, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Remember, every promise for us is yes and amen in Christ, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. When you find yourself in in the desert, then you need to make sure that you understand that where he's calling you to is that he is calling you to a city that we're focused in on that. Verse 20 says this. For those that were in the infirmary, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. How did he heal them? With his word. Remember, they're in the infirmary because of their twisted thinking. Because they're calling evil good and good evil. They're living by the philosophies of the way of the world. How were they healed of that? How were they brought out of the infirmary? By the word of God. Because the word of God renews our mind through the Holy Spirit for us to understand reality and truth as the creator and the designer of reality and truth says reality and truth is. Look at verses 29 through 30. Those individuals that were on that, that ship that was sinking, that was being uh, decimated by that storm. It says, he made, they cried out to him, and he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. They cry out to the Lord, and he brings them to their desired haven. Now, you remember the story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus, and the storm is raging all around them, and Jesus is just asleep. Jesus, 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 just sawing logs, right? Just, just out, and the disciples are worried. The disciples ought to be the ones sleeping. They're in the boat with Jesus. Why are we so worried, as believers? Why are we filled with so much anxiety, so much concern? If Jesus is in the boat with you, it don't matter what storm you're in. Jesus is in the boat with you. But they panic, and what do they say? They go and they wake up Jesus, and. Remember what they say to Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you care? Now don't we say that to Jesus all the time? Don't don't you care that my marriage is in disarray? God, don't you don't you care that my children are wayward and they're not living according to the things that we instilled into them? Don't 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 you don't you care about the ailments and the sickness? In my body or in one of my family members' body, don't, don't you care about the financial hardships that we're going through right now? Don't you care about the direction that our country is heading in? God Almighty, are, wake up. Don't you care? God forgive us that we would ever ask him whether or not he cared. You want to know if God cares about you? Look at the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ died and bled for our sins. He cares about us. And as these storms rage, when we cry out to him, he will hush the storm in his perfect timing. And they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven, that desired destination. God Almighty will bring us to that. Fourth, as a response to all of this, his steadfast love galvanizes our praise. When we, when we consider the steadfast love of the Lord, the, the one who gathered us out of the deserts, the one who gathered us out of the prisons, the one who gathered us out of the infirmaries, the one that gathered us out of those sinking ships, the one that brought us to the desired haven that broke the shackles off of us, that took us out of our sickbed and healed us, the one that, that brought us into the city of security and sustenance, when we consider his ways, it ought to galvanize our praise. Now, galvanize is defined as to shock or excite someone into action. When we consider the steadfast love of the Lord, it ought to move us to action. It it, it ought to move us to a place that we no longer remain where we are, but that we are moved to action to tell other individuals about the goodness of God, to be obedient because of his steadfast love to us. But it also talks about this idea of coating iron or steel with a protective layer of zinc. That way corrosive materials don't corrode that steel. When we come in here and we sing praises to God Almighty, it's one of the greatest weapons we have. When we truly sing out to God Almighty, it's like a protective coat that goes over our hearts that protects the schemes of the enemy from corroding our heart. Because you know what? It's hard for me to be angry. It's hard for me to be bitter. It's hard for me to fall into the schemes of the enemy when I'm too busy singing to God Almighty his praises. And sometimes we come in here and and we just, we're locked, Look like we just sucked on a lemon. Look like five years ago, taking selfies with Duck lips. You know what I'm talking about? Just lips just pooched. My grandmama always said, Be careful. You better tuck that lip in. A bird's going to fly by and ain't going to poop on it. <laughs> That's a nanny saying right there. That's a granny saying right there. Sometimes we look like that in praise. God forgive us that we wouldn't just lay air and just cry out to him, the one that died for us on the cross the one that gives us new life, the one that rescued us out of the deserts and out of the prisons, that took us out of the infirmaries, that rescued us from the sinking ships. How dare us come in here and keep our mouths shut? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord cry out because he's worthy of our praise. And how arrogant are we to say, well, I'll praise you if it's only a certain genre. Well, I'm going to fix some parking problems here in a second. We had one of those parking problem moments. How dare us come in here and say, I'll praise you, but only if the music is this type of music, and only if the music is at this decibel, and only if the music is this or this. Listen to me. Is God not worthy to praise? I don't care if it's bluegrass. I don't care if it's Christian hip-hop. I don't care if it's it's modern worship. I don't care if it's the hymns. He's worthy of my praise, and if you praise in God, I'll sing with you. I may not know the words. Put them on the screen. I may sing out a turn where it should be a pause, and I'm the awkward individual that starts singing. You ever been that person? I don't care. He's worthy of our praise, is he not? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord praise him. It galvanizes our praise. His steadfast love and what he's done for us ought to move us to praise God. I don't care where we're at or what's going on. We ought to praise God with our lips and our lives. Look at verse 8 and 9. Remember those individuals that are in the desert that were brought into the city? Look at verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Isn't he worthy of our praise because he satisfies us and gives us good things? Look at verses 15 and 16. Remember the individuals in prison? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, because he brought them out of the shadow of death and out of the darkness and bust their bonds. Verse 14, verse 16 says, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Should we not praise God Almighty because he's broken the bonds and the chains off of our lives? Look at verses 21 through 22. Remember the individuals in the infirmary that cried out to the Lord and he healed them with his word. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. That we ought to be singing his praises. Hebrews 13, 5 says this. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Psalm 89.1 goes on to tell us this. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. So we're singing out with our, with our lips and we're also living out with our lives sacrificially the goodness of God Almighty. Romans 12.1 tells us that it shouldn't just be songs of praise but it should be lives of praise. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Remember, mercy is synonymous with steadfast love. You could read that by the steadfast love of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Look at verses 31 and 32. Remember the individuals on the ship? As they were in the storm, and he made the storm be still, and the waves were hushed, and the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Listen, can you praise God Almighty by yourself? Absolutely, and you should. You absolutely should. But all throughout God's word, we are taught again and again not to forsake the assembling together of the people. We come together, and we ought to come together with the sole goal in mind, we're praising God. God, forgive us if we make this about anything else other than what God has done for us, what God has promised to do for us, and who he is. But we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and we praise him together, united over the fact that his steadfast love took us out of a desert, took us out of a prison, took us out of the infirmary, took us out of that sinking ship. Lastly, we see in verses 33 through 42 that he governs providentially, that he governs providentially. That out of his steadfast love, we go through things that maybe in the moment we wish we would have never gone through. Nobody wants to go through the desert. Nobody wants to be in prison. Nobody wants to be in the infirmary. Nobody wants to be on that sinking ship, but God uses all of those moments of our lives to draw us closer to him. That what the enemy means for, for, for evil, God uses for good. That he governs providentially. That we can rest in the providence of God Almighty. That in his foreknowledge and his omniscience, that everything we go through is for our good if we will lay it at his feet. Look at verses 30-30. 33 through 42, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. In other words, some of those things that seem so fruitful but yet take you further away from God, he won't allow you to continue to stay in those things. He will turn them into a desert. He will turn them into a salty waste. But look at verse 35. He turns a a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. We just sang about that earlier as we joined together, that he turns graves into gardens. He he takes a desert and turns into a pool of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. and he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Romans eight twenty-eight. that beautiful passage of Scripture tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We love to quote this. In time of trial and heartache and pain, we love to tell individuals in the midst of their deserts, in the midst of their prisons, in the midst of their infirmaries, in the midst of their sinking ships, we love to tell them about Romans 8.28. But we do them a disservice if we don't go to Romans 8.29. Because Romans 8.29 tells you what the purpose of God is. That he works out all things for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, Romans 8, 29 tells us what that purpose is. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He takes every desert. He takes every prison. He takes every infirmity. He takes every sinking ship, and he uses those in those moments to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We talk about the great commandment. We talk about the great commission. Far too often we fail to talk about the great conformity. Where God's desire for each and every one of his children is to conform them to where they look more like Jesus tomorrow than they do today. That you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. And so, you may find yourself in a desert. You may find yourself in a prison. You may find yourself in an infirmary. You may find yourself on a sinking ship. But I guarantee you, God won't waste one moment of that because just as 2 Corinthians talks about, He who brought comfort into your life in the middle of those deserts, in the middle of that prison, in the middle of those infirmaries, in the middle of that sinking ship, He will use you and your story to bring comfort to other individuals that find themselves in the same place that you once were. Now, take off your grave clothes and go and tell others to take theirs off as well because we have a king in. In heaven who's called us to an <laughs> abundant life not to a prison a desert a sinking ship or an infirmary he's called us to himself and in himself we find everything that we need for every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus amen amen, amen. amen. let's go to the Lord in prayer